Welcome to another episode at Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Antoine Vanderlee. Antoine, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for re-inviting me over. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a while. Just in case there's like two or three people listening to this podcast who don't know who you are because they live under a rock, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so I'm probably most known for my for my blog called Swiftly, where I write articles, I think, since 2018 every week. I got my newsletter as well, Swiftly Weekly. And in my day-to-day job, I'm working at WeTransfer, where I'm um, a staff iOS engineer, making sure that everything mobile is as perfect as it can be. How long have you been at WeTransfer? It's actually going to be six years this March. That's awesome. That's long, isn't that's it? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, in a good way, though, like, they love you. You like them. So absolutely. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. What was I going to say? I love WeTransfer, by the way. If you're ever looking for a way, like, they're not a sponsor or anything. So uh, <laughs> just if you're looking for a really easy way to transfer a super big file, like, it's the simplest way to do it. I find whatever dropbox i mean i'll use google drive on occasion but that's more for like mm-hmm. i think like if you have a shared folder but like if you have just a file you want to send to someone yeah like i we transfer a solid and it's just super easy to use yeah so. as, as long as the listeners know that it's not about money transfers you know we, we get people applying for the job and we right. uh, we ask them why do you want to work for we transfer and they say like yeah, yeah, I've been using WeTransfer for years to transfer my money, and you know, and I want to work for that company. They do this in an interview. <laughs> they oh, they, yeah, they do that when they apply for a job, and I'm like, how can you transfer money if we don't even support it? So, it's all about file transfers. And and NFTs, right? You can transfer NFTs, right? Maybe you're doing that this year. Maybe <laughs> you <laughs> never know. Sarcastic. <laughs> you you don't never know. Assuming there's still a thing in 2023. Yeah, so last episode, I gave my solo year in review. You wrote an article giving your year in review. And I figure we'd deep dive a little bit in our mutual year in reviews, but also kind of talk more, because I didn't really talk a lot about the technical aspect of how things changed in the Swift and Apple world in 2022. But before we begin, I'll just let you kind of give your quick thoughts on 2022 as far as being a developer in this space yeah so 2022 has been quite an amazing year mostly from a personal side of things to be honest because i became a dad in march and i married my my wife now in in december altogether quite significant event so to say but still, I had yes. somehow, if I look back, what I achieved from the technical side of things with the releases of my side projects and such, I, I can't really tell that I had such major events in my private life as well. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a, quite a crazy year. We had two Swift releases, Swift 5.6, 5.7. And I remember preparing a talk in June, two weeks after WWC, and the idea was to cover a topic from WWC. That's kind of like the hot new thing to talk about. And if you look back at previous years, we had major releases in Swift Package Manager, Cloud, Sync Catalyst. You know, those were kind of like, 
easy topics to pick for a talk if you want to do a talk about WWDC. And this year, I was like, well, what is the most obvious one to pick, right? That was an interesting journey. I, I ended up doing a talk about opaque types, existential, any generics. And I kind of Which realized... Which conference was this? Several, actually. I did it at AppDevCon, <laughs> French, French Kid. Yeah, quite quite a few, honestly. That's the thing with the talk, right? It takes a lot of time to prepare it. And chances are low that one visiting French Kid also visited AppDevCon, right? So yeah. plus, if I do my talk again, it becomes better and better. And the last version and the last one I did was in Poland. Yeah, that was that was much better than the first version, I can tell. Yeah, but either way, if, if uh, I look back, it feels like really like a, a year with, with improvements, right? So improving the things that we already have, making them even better towards the road of yeah, Swift 6 that will hopefully arrive next year. Yeah, right, right. I'm trying to think of what I've seen on Swift 6. What was it? There was one thing I, I just saw recently that we'll we'll get into it later when we talk about server-side Swift stuff too, because that was a big thing a few weeks ago. But yeah, we also had big improvements to Swift UI as far as opening up navigation and layout stuff. And then one thing one thing I didn't I didn't actually put on our notes, but just you talking about conferences, it's kind of here on the other side of the world, we don't have a lot of conferences. So but that will we do now, but last year, just the only conference I remember in the U.S. was 360 iDev. And as we talked about in the last episode, they're ending that. But now this year we have, you know, a few more new ones that have grown. New York Swift, uh, Deep Dish, Josh is putting together Deep Dish. And then I guess Toronto is also coming back again. I heard that yesterday. So nice. that's good. Finally, yeah. North America has some more conferences. So I kind of envy that you you have them, but I'm glad we're growing more here on the other side of the ocean. Um, yeah, but, but th this is yeah. a good point, right? 2022 was the first year again that we had in-person conferences, or at least many of them, because the year before it was all online. Right. And yep. honestly, that didn't felt as good as the ones in person where you really got to meet people, hang out with them. Yeah, that, that, in terms of conferences, yeah. it was a great year. Do you think things are back to normal? Well, normal, as normal as they're going to be? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess what makes it mostly back to normal is WWDC this year. If that's going to be as good as it was a few years back when it was in person, then I would say it's all back to normal. But I think the the whole different way of working during COVID you know, opened up doors for companies as well, but as well as for conferences like WWDC, where they noticed, you know, like the online format might actually work better. You know, we, we get so many great videos that are shorter in time. They're more to the point. Everybody can watch them. Everybody can reach them. But yeah, the one thing that I, I, I still miss, honestly, is like everybody from the community gets together at WWDC. I mean, that used to be the thing, right? You had parties everywhere. Every evening, there was a company hosting a party where you could go to and such. I wish that comes back. And if that comes back, then we're back to normal. Do you do you think WWDC will be in person this year? At, at the minimum, it will be like they did last year. But yeah, I'm not, not, right. not sure about you. But at least for me, going all the way there for just 
one day pretty much that was a bit too much and uh, yeah it's hard to say how it will be this year think about it right if it's back to what it was but with the videos like we are used to now how will it be to be there every day monday tuesday wednesday you know watching the sessions in person while they have the new format i think i think that will be tricky so they need to find a new format maybe way where you can watch the pre-recorded sessions in person there kind of like a cinema or something i don't know i think yeah i mean the thing the big thing is is like apple when they started wwc i don't know where late 90s maybe or early 2000s they were a different company they weren't the mammoth like biggest company in the world that they are now and so like there's a lot of benefit to a lot of people to just do remote for like the base content of WWDC. I do like that they've stretched out one thing that we've seen this year is we've seen more of the one-on-one appointments and the Slack Q and A's say what you will, but it's something where like things are more spread out throughout the year. And it's not just like, here's one week where you can talk to an Apple developer. You have more, it's it's like I've had a couple, I've talked about them. I've had a couple of meetings with the folks at Apple and that's been super helpful for me getting those appointments. It's not as good as like what it might've been when WWDC was totally in person, but at least we're able to do it more frequently, I guess. Yeah, and but this this one is interesting as well, right? Because in a way you could also say it's better than how it was at WWDC. I, re- I remember, especially the year that Switch UI was announced, there were so many big lines for questions about it. If you look now, you can actually access all the questions that are asked by others in the Slack threads, right? So there are people compiling those questions in a GitHub repository so you can look them up afterwards. But it allows you to gain insights that you would otherwise never never see. And I think there, there might also be the downside that you can't really go in-depth, share your screen next to a developer that works on the core data right. framework or something. I don't know. Yeah, that, those are still things that, that we miss. But yeah, I don't know. There, there, there's better be a balance now, right? Like they need to find the sweet spot. Do you think, here's here's one. We're totally going, not on our notes, but I figured I'd ask. <laughs> Especially considering like there's been a lot of rumors about a certain Apple product that people put on their heads. Do you think we're going to get any more in-person in press events? for like say a march event yeah. or a september event or an october event especially I mean, with a product like that i can't i can't see yeah. how like how do you show that off i guess you could show it off in a video but like it's such a it's such a product that you have to feel and interact and immerse yourself in exactly exactly so i guess they they would really benefit from an in-person event at least for 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 press and media which they did last year as well right like press and media was was invited as well i believe for the keynote and such so but yeah for developers i guess as well there must be like a developer kit or anything similar it reminds me as well about the bowling game with ar when ar was released first right you could do a bowling game at wwc play against each other right right yeah those, those are the things you need to do in person yeah right yeah exactly 
Uh, okay, so I I looked over your top articles, and if I remember correctly, you had an async await article that was really popular this year. You had a combine article that was popular this year. What was the other one? I can't remember now. You remember? I think it was Jason handling. Okay. Just yeah, but decoding, like, encoding. Yeah, right. Like advanced co- decoding, but like it seems like a big thing had been that people were really interested in still in async away and combine. What's kind of your view of the relationship between those two and and how how they work in the ecosystem in twenty twenty three? Yeah, this is a a hot topic, so to say. Many people wonder whether Combine will still be alive in a few years, especially because we didn't see any major updates to the Combine framework in this year's WTC release. I think the the main point for me is that if you look at SwiftUI, SwiftUI heavily relies on Combine under the hood, right? Like things like the published property right. or the state property, all those kind of property wrappers, Underneath, they use combine observable object. They, they actually comes with a, a publisher in its definition. The object will change yep. publisher. So uh, to me, it's very clear combine is not going anywhere. And I think the reason they didn't update it this year is that it's quite mature. It, 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 combine is nothing new, right? Like we had Arc Swift, Reactive Swift for years. The whole reactive paradigm was already known or sorted out. So to me, it does make kind of sense that combine was good from the get-go in a way so how, how do they what, live together what would you look for if you if you were going to look for an update to combine what would you look for well I, I guess if i look into the projects that that i work on we would mm-hmm. often visit the combine extensions Austrian github it's quite a popular one where it, it's mostly just convenience extensions of publishers but you can co- compare it to you know, foundation comes with certain types, but you, you're still not completely fulfilled. So you write your own extensions on strings yeah. or, or, or collections or such, right? That's the same with combine. I don't think I really am in a need for updates in the core combined framework, to be honest. Uh, it, it's pretty solid. And yeah, so, so I didn't really expect something new there either. I think like you kind of hit it on the nose though. Like what, what's kind of developed out of the community is kind of what we expect from Apple. Cause I'm in the same boat where I'll, you, I use combine quite a bit and I have the same extensions I have to put in all my apps because I need to do a particular thing. Like, you know, like, Oh, I want to return an optional or I need to return. I need to like silence an error and just return the value or, or the, so there's that right. There's extensions on on combined common combined methods like a map or a tri map or whatever, or or a flat map. But then there's also there's so we had you know when combine came out we got uh, one for notification center one for I know I'm gonna forget this notification center timer and I feel like there's one other one I'm missing. Oh URL URL session maybe I think we got three publishers mm-hmm. from older APIs. There's still a lot of older APIs that don't have come like you have to like write your own combine holding for like for instance I wrote a whole series of articles on core location and how to hook that up into combine health kits common one that I use where there's I have to do my own work 
to get it to work with Combine. So I think, yeah, like you said, those are kind of the missing pieces where the community can fill those in, that's fine. But you think like Apple kind of be like, hey, by the way, here's a here's a here's the Apple way to do it. You should use this way. Yeah, I kind of think that's what's missing in Combine. It's not it's not like the end of the world because obviously the community has filled that in, but if there's anything you would expect from Apple, it'd be those things. I mean, I do know they have what's going back to the whole thing about async await. They do. I believe that there's some stuff like even HealthKit where they've moved some of that over to async await. So I find that interesting. Whereas they haven't built like publishers for a lot of those older APIs. Yeah. But I, I think this comes from the angle, how Apple looks at use cases for combined, right? Because if, if if we really come back to your initial question, like how does async await live together with combine? I think there's a certain use case for combine that, that's not really logical to do with async await, but the other way around as well, right? Like if, if there's a constant stream of publishing values, you could use async sequence as well. But to me, that reads much less naturally versus a combined stream it's more of values. Reactive. Yeah, I mean, it makes it just yeah. a lot easier to create like a funnel of, of, of you know, operators that handle yep. the value over time, you know, debouting techniques, all those kind of things. And there is a, a repository from Apple that allows you to do all those kind of operations like sipping and, and all those kind of things. But it doesn't read naturally to me, even the, the async sequence with a for loop where the for loop can run and then it doesn't run for a few minutes maybe and then it runs again it doesn't feel natural to me because it's structured concurrency so you expect it to go from top to down but eventually it would reach the latest part of your code and with async sequence i feel like we're stuck somewhere whereas with combined, i totally agree yeah with, with yeah. combined it makes sense right because we're used to that paradigm of a stream of values right. over time that reacting runs. like a pipeline of 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 a stream of data from multiple sources or yeah, things like that. Exactly. So I, I guess it comes down to, for me at least, like an async piece of code that goes from A to B, but it it will go from the beginning till the end in one in one flow, then I would use async await. Yeah. And that that's how I use yeah, it. Async well. await async await just to me it makes more sense when you have a single asynchronous operation that you're doing whereas like when you need to react to a stream of data or you need to manage multiple streams of data to multiple syncs i guess or or published properties then combine makes more sense i i think that's one of the, my gaping holes in knowledge that i'd like to fill this year is figuring out how async stream works and kind of yeah. getting more of that perspective but it seems like you're you're kind of in the same boat as, as i am where it's like i've We'll talk, you know, I've jumped into group activities and group activities is big into async await for managing stuff as it comes in. And for me, it, it doesn't look natural. Like it doesn't, I, I still haven't figured out, like I get what's going on, but like you said, that for loop is just, it looks strange to me from what I expect from an async await process. Yeah. And, but it, it's interesting what you say, right? Like you, you still need to wrap your head around and it's something that you, you still need to figure out a bit this year. It, it could also very well be something we need to get used to. When I did my talk on existential any and opaque types, the generics are now rewritten using like a sum keyword. Sum is equal to T, where T conforms to protocol. 
it's it's like a shorthand that reads more naturally. It's in a way easier to understand. But at that point, I realized like if you're like like a developer that developed for years, you're used to the generic syntax. Getting used to the new syntax of using opaque types seems odd because you're not used to it. But if you're starting today as an engineer on Swift and you read opaque types using the sum keyword, it might feel much more natural and you get used to it really quickly. And that might also apply to async away, where we are used to using combine in those cases. But if you're not aware of how combine works and you read about async sequence, you might find that really natural to yourself. And and I find this fascinating, right? It's kind of like the tunnel vision we have because we're used to a certain pattern. But yeah, maybe it's sometimes good to step out of it, try it out and see if it actually works better and just accept yeah, I, that, that it's different. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's let's jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about the way generics changed this year and associated types and all that stuff. We got the new any keyword. We've already had some. Some came with Swift UI because they didn't want to have to like specify every single generic type. And it makes sense in that case with our sum view. But any is something different. You want to explain the difference and how use what what purpose I guess it serves? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason there's no Swift 6 release is because the Swift team is still working on like like the final pieces of memory safety or basically they want to let us develop without thinking about all the difficult things of memory management and trading and all those kind of things so we got async away we got um existential any we got opaque types all those those pieces over time will make us move to swift six gracefully existential any the any keyword completely lowercase in a way it's not something new what it, what it forces you is to think about the fact that you're using a protocol that can be of any kind of type. In other words, for the compiler, it's it's hard to predict what type it will be. So it can't do any you know memory optimizations or heap memory optimizations accordingly. If we take the body of a SwiftUI view, when we have to return some view, the compiler will be able to determine the exact type at compile time. It will be some fee stack or maybe a text element. And because it knows that it's going to be a fee stack, it can optimize memory allocation for it and you get a better performance. So it's really about, you know, if you need to use any protocol that should be like like, like a sign, like maybe I can use opaque types instead and be more precise about the type that's going to be used. You'll also get type relations because the compiler knows which type it will eventually be. And yeah, you get a better performance overall. That's a really short summary of what it is. Well, I never heard the memory allocation story. That's really interesting. Like that that's a big reasoning behind the any keyword. I started using it and then Mm -hmm. I ended up getting stuck in a lot of places and Mm -hmm. ended up going back to just using what's it called constraints on my types yeah. and sticking with the old way. So I'm kind of in mm-hmm. that boat where it's like the any keyword I don't understand because I'll use it. And then the compiler will be like, yeah, you can't do this thing because it's an any. And then I just go back to using generics and where constraints and things like that. Like how have you found, what have you found the convenience of the any keyword and where have you found it useful? 
Yeah, so the, the tricky part for me is that, so so Xcode 14 will suggest you in places to use any keyword as well. While in many of those cases, you could actually use some and with that, gain a better better performance. And uh, to get back to the performance, it's, it's a really small hit. I don't think you will really notice it. I, I can send you a link on uh, Swift forums where it's explained in a bit more detail for those that are interested. Okay. But yeah, nevertheless, I, I, I didn't, really use any that much yet i went over the code base as we transfer and what i did is i was looking for kind of like those those type erasure types where we had an any experiment type which would kind of like yeah. type erase the actual experiment but it would allow us to yep. pass that through throughout the code base yeah we, we could now replace that with the lowercase any and then just reuse the experiment protocol type that we had okay. i think Another big improvement is, I don't know this error by mind, but if you see it, you recognize it for sure. If you had an associated type in a protocol and you would use it as a generic, you would get like, you can't use this protocol because it has self-constraints, something like that. Yeah, Uh, right. It it felt like, why, why isn't this working, right? Like, it should just work. And it's what they literally did in the Swift session. They did like... It now suddenly works, right? They removed that constraint, and I think that opens up more doors than we realize because it now will just naturally work. You don't really realize that constraint is gone when you use it, but it will, yeah, allow us to write more optimized code. I think. I have like this talk in the back of my head about how to use associated types and generics, and and how how they work because they're really useful. But yeah, I, I can see a lot of novice and probably inter, even intermediate Swift developers just being like, screw it. I don't, I don't want to deal with it because of, like you said, you get things like that yeah. where it's like the self, it's like, you can't use it. And yeah, I, I totally understand where you're going. Um, yeah, and, but this, cool. this is a good point, Go right? Like for, for those listening that are like intimidating by the fact that there's generics and there's opaque types, existential any, I think it's really important to know that these are just tools in your tool set that you could use, but it's definitely not mandatory to use them. You can write the same code solutions without generics. It's a bit more duplicate code, less reusable maybe. Yeah, but in most cases, that's more than fine. So let's talk about one of the apps. I think think you debuted it this year, is Stock Analyzer. You want to talk about your experience with that? Yeah, yeah. So before Stock Analyzer, I always had that that eagerness to release an app on the iOS app store that's not per se developer related. That's more for the bigger crowd and also an app where I can really jump on new features whenever WWDC comes with a major iOS update. And last year, January, I happened to start looking into stock investments and naturally I started to learn about all kinds of ratios like price to earnings and all those kind of new metrics that I I didn't really understand. And, and the last thing I wanted mm-hmm. to do is read up on them every month when I did my monthly investment, right? So okay, I, I guess I started with like an Excel sheet like everybody does when you start investing. And I, I quickly realized I need a tool. And I want that tool to tell me like, okay, this is a good price to earnings ratio, right? And that's when I started thinking about an app which turned out to be Stock Analyzer, which gives you like a score from A to E, whether or not the ratio is good in in theory if everything is an a meaning everything is green 
you should buy that stock. That's that's the idea. But yeah, I'm, I'm very much learning stock investment and, and stock analyzer is kind of like a nice tool on the side that I can use for both my stock learning as well as, you know, building new features like like lock screen widgets and those kind of things last year. What what did you learn out of the experience building an app for a wider audience that you didn't know before you started? Well, <laughs> it's quite painful, actually. Um, it's a stocks app, right? And in a way, I'm advising on finance. And it turned out that Apple is not really willing to promote or feature apps that are in that sector. So uh, some, somewhere mid-2022, mid I realized that, which was, which was disappointing. But that's kind of like a side story, right? Well, I guess what I, what, I, what I learned is that if you build up an app nicely with modules and such, I got another app, Rocket Sim, which is also built using the same modules. Mm-hmm. It, it allows me to move really fast. And, and the lock screen widgets and the other widgets, I built it quite, quite fast because I had all that code ready to be reused in packages. I wouldn't say that it's per se a learning from Stock Analyzer, but it's at least a learning that I take with me that for personal side projects, it pays off even more to have those packages, your own kind of modules. It's called the Swiftly SDK, but you know. Uh, I'm totally like on board with that. Like I've, all of my apps now are just basically a bunch of Swift packages connected together with like minimal code in the actual app base. So yeah, that's... It's become easier and easier over the years as Swift Package Manager has matured quite a bit. Yeah, and, and you need to be prepared for whatever comes next year, right? Like, it's it's very likely that we will get another extension, and you want to reuse that API layer, right? And if it's all in your yeah. in your main project, you need to go over each file individually, add them to the target that you created. You know, it's 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 painful to maintain. Yeah. Whereas if it's a package already, just include a package and you can go ahead and reuse it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Let's talk about your other big app that you've been, I mean, I don't know how old it is, but RocketSim. How long How long have you been working on RocketSim? Yeah, I think I think 2018 was version 1.0, which was a really simple okay. status bar app where you could execute deep links. Very basic. What was the big, what did you introduce, I guess, this year in Rocket Sim? And, and how, how has that experience been? Just as somebody in the same space, excuse me. Yeah. As someone in the same space who's been building dev tools, what's, what kind of have you learned through your experience with Rocket Sim? Yeah. So, first of all, I'm, I'm super fortunate to be able to build a developer tool while I also have swiftly targeting developers, right? So, I'm I'm using GitHub for web reports and feedback and search because I know I got developers. They know how GitHub works. Um, that's that's super convenient. Yeah. It, it's a super fun project to be honest. I'm I'm, I'm building like it, it's a simulator tool, right? So you can see like a floating window next to the simulator, and it provides you with all kind of extra features like recording with touches, recording with landscape support, with device bezels. You can compare design on top of the simulator. Over, over the years, I started to adopt more and more features, also based on user feedback, because many developers, you know, they develop every day and they find themselves doing repetitive tasks, realizing like, hey, I, I, I can improve this flow and it should be great if it's, if it's in RocketSync. Why it's super fun is because I'm, I'm often going into Xcode.app and I run through all those directories inside the 
Xcode app. And eventually I found out that the simulator is built out of slices. So and it's a funny story, actually, because the device bezels feature in RocketSim is actually rebuilding the simulator using the slices that are in the Xcode.app file. So I got like a switch oh, UI nice. view that's using all those, those slices, um, which also means that if a, if a new Xcode version is out, I directly support a new simulator because I'm just reusing what they use. It's like an info.plist file. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's nice. super fun. And uh, because, because I have the, the design comparison feature, I know exactly where the screen of the simulator is on your Mac screen. And I can do all kinds of things there, which is why I released Rocket Sim 8 in, in May with a grids and a rulers version where you can show a grid nice. on top of your app, show rulers to align elements. And yeah, as we speak, I'm close to releasing Rocket Sim 9.0. I'm super excited about that one where you can test push notifications and deep links using so-called quick actions, which will show next to your simulator. So you can directly click on it and you know the push notification will show up or the deep link will be executed, which opens all kinds of new features. Is RocketSim on the App Store? It is. Yeah. Okay. Sandbox Has it always been on the App Store? Sorry? Has it always been in the App Store? Yeah. Yeah, so... Okay. I think I didn't really want to go that route of having to promote it myself. Plus, it feels more okay. secure if it's in the App Store. That was kind of my, yeah, my, yeah, my totally. feeling behind it. And I had a moment where I tried to switch it out of the App Store because I was just annoyed. It's, it's really hard to support a simulator tool when you're sandboxed, right? You need to use SimCTL. Yeah. I need to ask access for all kinds of folders. Yeah, and if you're not sandboxed, that opens up the doors. But then you right. still need to manage updating using using Pedal and all those kind of tools, which was yeah. quite a pain. So I quickly stopped. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about is that you are either this year or next or or last year you worked on doing team licenses. Speaking of the App Store, how does that work with Rocket Sim, and what like how how does that even work? I don't even understand how you could do team licenses through the app store yeah so the app store doesn't support it officially right so what how it basically works i'm using gumroad and gumroad comes with a license api and um how how i compare it is that you have a netflix account and you bought that account on netflix.com you install the ios application and you log in you're already premium you didn't purchase it through the app store it's kind of the same with, with the license implementation where the license key can be activated and it will use the Gumroad API to, to validate that accordingly. Okay. So basically where you have in-app purchases, there's a way to activate yeah. the license via Gumroad. More exactly. Okay. How, how, do you like working with Gumroad? Did you find it like yeah. to work with? or? Yeah, I think I, I looked at different options and Gumroad was just most known to myself. I do yep. believe they changed their pricing this year, which isn't really in many paper. Yeah, I don't know. It, it works out for me and they had a nice API that's simple to use. So yeah, for, for me, it worked out. Yeah, we had Jordy on the, on the show and he uses Gumroad quite a bit. And mm -hmm. We never... You know, you never think about Gunroad for software necessarily. It's usually books. Yeah. But the way he uses it is really novel and and cool. So yeah, I was 
super curious about your team licenses on gum road did you buy a new phone this year i did not no no okay um no no i was happy with my phone i i think it wasn't significant change enough for me to say like okay i'll, I'll buy a new one did you no no i didn't either i have an 11 pro max and other than the battery it's fine totally fine well, the reason I I wanted to ask, not just because it's what we ask on shows like this, but like you did widgets with stock analyzer. Did you look at anything with like live activities or the dynamic island as it's called with either of your apps? Yeah, I I, I did have like IDs for maybe showing the stock price constantly or something, but it didn't really felt like really like an added value. You know, the, the thing with side projects, there's only so much you can do, right? So you, you need to pick your battles. And for me, life activities wasn't wasn't really worth my time and effort in terms of like the return of investment. If if I were to have like an app where it made total sense, like like it does for, for Uber or something, yeah, and then I would probably also find more reason to buy that phone as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Stock Analyzer is much more analytical mm-hmm. than just like, oh, I am constantly looking at the stocks and figuring out how to how to stay ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. And I'm in the same boat where it's just like, is it worth my time? Like, you know, will it extend my App Store exposure, I guess? Or will it be useful to the customers? Like, yeah, that's kind of the questions you have to ask when you have finite amount of time. But that's that's the reason you could do it, right? Like to jump on that boat of the September official release of iOS 16, be part of all those lists where you, you'll be listed because you support lock screen widgets or those kind of lists. Right. But yeah, that's that's where I realized that I'm not going to be featured soon because I'm a financial advisor. So the, 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 yeah, yeah, that so intent was lost. Yeah. yeah. Live activities is not going to change that. No. Um, one thing about I wanted to touch on, just jumping back on Stock Analyzer, is you want to do some, you want to port it to the Mac, the iPad. Did you say TV in the, I don't know if you said TV, but you wanted to do a multi-platform app with yeah. Stock Analyzer. What's your, like, what's your plan for that? And how does that, how does that work with the way you've architected the app already? Yeah, so I think the, the biggest question here is like, so, uh, Apps are often iPhone only because they're still validating their concept, right? They're still finding out what, where they want to be. And if you expect big UI chases, you don't want to do that on all those platforms. You kind of want to know like, okay, this concept works. And I can now focus on making that optimal for iPad and macOS as well. Um, I guess for, for me with Stoke Analyzer, first, first and foremost, it was about you know building out the concept, validating that users want to use it, and not spending all my time on just adding iPad or macOS support. First, spend all my time that I have, if I even have the time to work on Stock Analyzer because of all the other things that I do, focus on adding extra ratios and, and financial data and those kind of things. So for, for this year, I believe that I'm, I'm at a point where I can start thinking about it and how it works from an architectural point of view is that I got a few options. I can use Mac Catalyst and I can use Apple Silicon. I looked at Apple Silicon and it didn't really felt that that was the way forward. I could also use AppKit, but I think in the case of Stock Analyzer, it's going to be like a 
a window app as well, right? That's not going to be like a status bar app, which is harder to manage when you use Catalyst. I think it makes total sense to to use Catalyst combined with an iPad app and and build those those two together. And another thing, Hida, I'm not sure if he's going to watch this. It is a big favor of WatchOS applications. He's a friend of mine. And he pushes me constantly. You need to build a WatchOS app. So that's another thing I want to explore. Because if you have widgets, it should be fairly simple to at least add complications. complication. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. that could be kind of like a nice quick quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing the progress and story on that this year. Let's see. Do you want to talk about server-side Swift? I don't know much about it, to be honest. So it will be really general and I don't okay. know. We'll save that for the next episode then, because in the next episode, we'll have Dave and Sven on who run the okay. Swift package index. Yeah, and they, they know much more about it. So I totally, I totally agree. That's, that's fine. Anything else you want to talk about, I guess, before we close out? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe looking ahead to 2023, that could be something. Yeah. What are you? We'll probably have a new OS, like a new, totally new platform. It's looking like what? What's your? How about your? What, what's your wish list for the for this year? In terms of features, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For um, developers, yeah, for developers. I I think it's you know like I had the same question last year, and I already found it hard to answer. I think the only thing I could really think of was something I'm constantly open for is a replacement of core data, and last year I had the insight that it will not be a replacement but an alternative because i don't really think they want to do you know like an official migration from core data to swift data or something that's going to be super risky yeah. so if you if you make it like an opt-in where developers need to do that themselves or something i think it's more logical or well, it seems to be the pattern too with a lot of their stuff whether it's migrating to swift or migrating to swift ui yeah usually it's opt-in type thing with compatibility some sort of way to to have the two talk to each other i guess yeah yeah exactly so but uh, other than that i'm quite fulfilled i don't know i i think i also have so much on my roadmap already to work on that i can't i'm kind of like you know i'm not waiting for anything i've got enough to do so i don't know how, how about you yeah. do you have anything that you expect or hope for what I hope for, just kind of bug fixes. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last episode, I talked about the issues with my Apple, like with my Mac Studio, weird little quirky issues that I kind of don't expect of a machine like this. I hope Xcode gets better. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm having issues where it'll show me the error and then it'll hide it right away. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to like clean and then build again, which can take a bit longer. I hope improvements to Apple Watch development we have this massive new watch and people still have issues developing on it. So I kind of hope we get something, some improvements in that, that way. Like even just, and I know it's not Apple style, but just kind of revealing a little bit like behind the curtain, what's going on when an issue does come up so that we have better ways to, to, to work around it. I mean, I think that's kind of, that's kind of it. Like, I feel like they really push features a lot. But at the same time, yeah. just sometimes basic stuff I run into issues with. Those would that would be my wish list. Yeah. Like, so quality of life improvements. Yeah. My prediction. Yeah, I mean, 
my prediction is probably we're going to get the thing that we're going to put on our head probably in the next year. I'm not so sure it's going to be a hit, but, you know, maybe it's going to be a slow, slow thing like the watch where eventually it picks up. I still don't. I don't I don't have one, so I, I don't understand the appeal of them, but whatever. We'll see. I think that we'll probably get more Apple Silicon stuff. We'll probably get a Mac Pro this year. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of predictions this year. I mean, it does seem, well, we'll talk about the next episode. It does seem Apple is really putting their, their weight behind server-side Swift. They seem to be using it. Seems to be used by a lot of companies. It seems like it's really mature now. Yeah. And I think that'll continue continue to happen. But of course, we'll talk about that more in the next episode. Yeah. And um, you'll also talk about Swift. It, it seems like it's for real. It's not it's not some something for, for hackers and people who are just interested in quirky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, what do you predict, I guess? Yeah, well, you you just reminded me and you'll talk about that with Dave and Sven. That the, the, this you know the package registry, which is something that's that's on its way. But one thing I kind of run into lately is that things like Firebase, for example, right? It's a it's it's a big repository with many kinds of packages, and if you include that in your project, the whole Git repository is cloned, even though you only use like maybe one of those packages, right? And and, yeah. and, and you can sort that out. There's like an open source solution where you use binary targets but still it feels yep. it feels odd so i think if we have a package registry it's naturally solved and it will make things much faster in terms of swift package manager so i don't know i, I really hope that that kicks off this year yeah yeah agreed anything else you want to talk about we talked about a lot yeah we, we went a lot of routes so i think i think it's it, it's good like this i'm excited for this year to come and I'm looking forward to uh, release Rocket Sim to everyone and hopefully see everyone at WWDC in person. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Antoine, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me over once again. And uh, already looking forward to coming back in the future. Yes, yes, we'll definitely do that. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I, I they think don't know already. I, I'm one of the few that's still trusting Twitter. I also don't want to leave behind my big <laughs> audience there. So uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twanntwanl. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're, you'll be able to put a link in the show notes. And yeah, yeah. otherwise, yeah, follow my newsletter. I think that's the best way to stay up to date on everything that I do, while you also stay up to date on everything in the community. And we'll also have links to all the stuff we talked about today and some of the articles you've had. So yeah, thank you again. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My Mastodon, because I have to say that now in 2023, is at LeoGDion at c.im. You can also find me on LinkedIn. If you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe, please. Share it. Let people know about this great episode. And also, if you're listening to this on whatever podcast player, I'll ask every episode, please review and share with others. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome to 2023. And I look forward to talking to you next week with Dave and Sven on the Swift Package Index, server-side Swift, Swift Package Manager, all that stuff. So post your questions as soon as you can. Thank you so much and talk to you later. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.